Welcome to Enabling the World with Tech with your host, Prashant Gami. In this podcast, you will embark on tech journeys of successful companies focusing on how to scale effectively. Explore tech strategies and lessons from some of the world's most innovative and brightest people. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Enable the World with Tech, Conversations with Prasant Gami. Today, we have Peter William from Deloitte Digital, founder of Deloitte Digital. He leads uh, Center for the Edge at Deloitte. Uh, he has been involved in a lot of new startups, new technologies. One of the main ones that he's currently involved in is called Packform, uh, a managed marketplace for packaging. Uh, and he has been running a lot of charity work as well in Victoria Bushfire, Queensland Floods, Christ, uh, Christchurch Earthquake, and so on. So welcome, Peter, to the show. Thank you for coming here. No worries. Thanks. Uh, really pleased to be here, Prashant. Yeah. So today, like this podcast, we mainly go around like, you know, talking technology and learning that came uh, around like running a tech business, finding a tech business and scaling it up. So you have been at the forefront, like you started dealing with internet in 93. I was looking at some of your podcasts and articles and it was amazing. Uh, I think I was in my nappies back then, but uh, (laughs) the idea of like, you know, nowadays, Technology sort of like everybody says, technology is changing everything. But I guess you have seen it that it has been around for so long. What is actually like, you know, center for the edge and new generation technology? How do you view that? It's sort of, um, <clears throat> it's sort of interesting. It's, it's, I look at it um, in two ways. One, um, how do I think <clears throat> this technology or combination of technologies will play out? But I also look at it, around um, the problems it solves or how it can be applied and probably more <clears throat> problems to solve or how it could be applied. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so if you go back to 1993 um, and uh, when I first started using the web, it was like um, I, 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 my background is an accountant um, and I used to be a company doctor, you know, dealing with companies in trouble. And um, I'd been hearing about the internet and the World Wide Web, had no idea what it was. And, you know, I went to an internet cafe in London which said internet here and, like show me the internet, and I um, <clears throat> what what struck me after a couple of minutes was that I was able to be viewing material information on computers all around the world yes. at no cost, or, you know, other than your internet um, cost, which used to be six dollars an hour or something back in those days. Um, and um, it was like, wow! Suddenly, you know, I've lived in a world constrained by um, either the books in a library or um, the knowledge of people around me and suddenly the world's information will open up. And, and to me, that was profound. And I was like, wow, that's going to be the biggest thing I'll ever see in my lifetime. So, so again, I suppose if you look at that, first I, what's going on here? Oh, well, we're connecting phones. And, and again, that's interesting. You know, it, it's sort of like yes. existing phone networks with existing computer hardware with an open source protocol around HTML, suddenly it's, you know, and HTML was really just a, a sort of new addition to yes. um, HTML, standard generalised markup language. So it was sort of existing things tweaked and combined, which suddenly, bang, changed yes. everything. And um, and really when you look at it back at the, the internet, you know, we had the internet emerge back in around 1966, which was really, you know, the packet switching TCP Yes. IP type stuff, um, but it was when it became accessible through the Mosaic browser 
that, you know, that then that sort of when I started to get involved in it, it was like, wow. And I think that that's the way to look at it. It's, um, you know, and I started thinking about, you know, what can I do with this? Yes. Um, and then the, the first thing I did, because I, I was working as an accountant in a, in, in the UK, actually, at the time, I, I had a role of um, sort of trying to standardise and distribute knowledge and information. And I'm like, well, why don't I do this um, using the internet um, yes. and the web? True. So, you know, see something, think something, but most importantly, do something. You know, how can I try this out? What can I learn? And and, and that's the that's mm. the sort of thing I say to people about technology. You've got to be able to outthink, you've got to be able to outlearn, and you've got to be able to out-execute. And it's not about outspending. You know, if yeah. you're going to research, you know, sort of mm-hmm. nuclear fission or something, yeah, it's going to cost yeah. you a bit of money. <laughs> but okay. for uh, most of the stuff we want to do, the technology is probably out there or potentially emerging that we can um, we can use it and in a new context. Yep. And and you correctly spotted two things. One is doing something, which is very important, and not doing very complex things unless it is required. Uh, so, yeah. how, and, and that's where I think most of the companies get stuck. They either start doing something that keeps going on for three, four years, or they don't do anything. And yeah. how do you view it in current age, like when industry 4.0, climate tech, fintech, and all these tech buzzwords are going around, how do company actually say, what am I gonna achieve next six months or next year or something? Yeah, I, I talk about it, um, this sort of notion of think long, act short. Yes. Now, if I hear of a technology project, and I won't name any organisations, but, you know, we started on this project in 2016 and we're going to launch in 2023, or we started on it in 2008 and now we're going to launch it in 2015, it's like oh, I can guarantee you it's going to be a stuffer. Yes. because the world has changed in all that time. And so sure. sort of having a longer-term vision of what you want to achieve, mm-hmm. but then sort of saying, how, what's, the, what's that logical next step or what could I achieve over the next three to six months to test this idea? Because the problem is if you go down this pathway mm-hmm. um, for, for years and then you sort of come out of the, you know, go, ta-da. I mean, it was interesting. When I came back to Australia in 1996, one of the first um, jobs I did was... Um, I was asked to have a look at a, um, <clears throat> a technology system that had been custom built by an Australian government department. And effectively, people had took four years, but they didn't do it with the users. They didn't test it as they went. And it was a massive failure. And it was like, oh, my God. But that's And, and it just happened to combine technology and the um, field that I used to work in. Um, so it was like, well, hang on, that's not the way you work. When you do this stuff, you're looking at this and this, and these things need to be paired together. So we, so actually at the database level, everything was fine. It was just the complexity at the interface level that was so so problematic. So um, we we basically redesigned the UI <clears throat> using mm-hmm. sort of more web concepts yes. than traditional green screen, screen mm-hmm. concepts, and bang, the system ran for another, <laughs> probably still runs today. But, um, yeah, but it was that sort of... The, 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 the sort of notion of we know what we're doing at the start, we've got this long-term program and it's yes. going to go for True. X number of years as opposed to how mm-hmm. can I, where can I get my foothold? Or, or the other one, where does this thing live or die and yep. how can I test it? So, you know, you always hear me say, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah, how do we test that? You know, how do we prototype it? Can we find, can we find a, a lead client or can we find a lead user? Because I want to find somebody who would use it in the field because it's very easy um, to sit back and say, oh, I'll develop this technology and it'll magically, everybody will want to use it versus 
how do we find somebody who lives in this world or in the yes. in the sphere that we're trying to play? And that's the that's the thing, right? That <clears throat> there are people with domain and business knowledge, and then there yeah. are people who understand technology. And as you touched, right, the domain knowledge is fine, but they try to solve it in a way, traditional way of yeah. solving. And technologies are sort of sometimes go like, uh, how do you say, idealistic that this is how yeah. it's supposed to be built, but they don't, they ignore the business case. So how do you make sure you get both, how do you get the collaboration between those two? I, it's interesting, you know, I always said, you know, when I was running Deloitte Digital and web development, mobile development stuff, is like never ask a client what they want because they don't know what they can have. Yeah. What we need to do is like, what, what do you want to achieve? What makes life a pain in the ass? I mean, what makes life a pain yes. in the ass is almost like, you know what, if I can solve your pain point. So if you took Pactform, um, so we, uh, me and an entrepreneur mate of mine and um, a guy who's a very successful packaging sales guy in a large organisation, um, and he said that 90 to 95% of his time was chasing his tail, you know, faxing. And th this is like only a few years ago, faxing. Yes phone calls, emails, where's this, where's that, I need a quote, where's the bill, when's the delivery. Um, it was just this sort of noise and chaos. And we were like, well, we can fix that, you know. We, if we, and we, we took the view that the packaging industry doesn't need another machine, another warehouse, another, <clears throat> you know, truck. Uh, it's all there. It's just there's no information flow. So how do we make that information flow how do we create visibility and transparency so again it's not you know great rocket science yes. but it was um but but in the packaging industry it's 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 more complex than you you think but again so we worked with the packaging sales guy and was like okay this is what we're thinking what do you reckon you know yes prototyping testing but but again mainly at the ui level yes because we could sort out the database no problem but it was a bit like okay how does this work oh well Oh, do you realise that when you deliver packaging, you've, if you've ordered 500 boxes, you might get 520 or 428? Well, it's like, yeah, it depends on the machine and the roll of cardboard. Yes. and um, So you need to be able to adjust the invoice after the delivery to different to the order. It's like, huh, shit, well, glad you told us that. It was a, a little bit of a way into the project. Of course, mm. yeah. Uh, but, okay, all right. Um, so, uh, so we did it and it was interesting. We talked to a large packaging group and mm -hmm. uh, they saw that functionality. We were sort of walking through it and, um, wow, how long did it take you to build that? And it's like, oh, we, our developers sort of knocked it out probably two weeks and then a couple of weeks of testing, you know, four weeks, I don't know, maybe 20 grand or something. And, oh, we've spent millions trying to work on that reconciliation process and we've got 14 people who do that, who's <laughs> that's their job. Um, and again, you know, it's sort of, uh, it's just a different mentality mm -hmm. where you're where you're yeah. sort of looking at what what what's the pain mm -hmm. where, where how does that thing work in practice what do your customers want to do what's the reality mm -hmm. in terms of the way that this industry works so it's um so again it's not about thinking you know everything it's about yes. working with those end users and and the other the other one is almost like when you see the excitement on an end user's face when you deliver something they True. you know or, or even through testings like yeah. oh, you can do that um, it's that there's nothing like it in, in the world. It's, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I built a, a system with some developers and some tax people at mm -hmm. Deloitte, uh, around the JobKeeper time, you know, to automate the JobKeeper application. Yes. And we were using, <clears throat> we do, it was done by Zoom and using Miro and the, yes. we had the designer and developer doing the sort of basically, um, doing the whole use case flows all the way through. Yes. And 
And because, you know, these people had never seen this before, they, they thought it was like magic. Like we actually spent two hours and you've designed a whole system with all of the decision points and, you know, yeah, and, and, and they were like, this is unbelievable. And it was yeah. sort of, but it, it sort of reminded me that sometimes the stuff mm-hmm. that we do in technology that we take for granted um, yeah. to other people can look like magic. But yeah. but then encouraging and saying, well, there's a lot more we can do. Um, sure. Yeah, so, yeah, that's... Uh, that's sort of how you do it. So, you know, yep. we boil it back. Focus on what is the big outcome that you want to do? What's sure. the problem on your soul? Um, what currently limits or makes life a pain in the ass? Um, <clears throat> how can we use sort of design, user interfaces, flows, mm-hmm. and other combinations of technology, could be AI yep. or whatever, to um, make that seamless and enjoyable and allow the people who are going to be using that technology to focus on what um, what you know, their core operation yeah. is their core thing is so i want to touch uh, base i want to touch base one point that you mentioned like creating the prototype and a lot of the time when i deal with customers they confuse prototype with the production so mm. what they try to do is call it a prototype but they try to build a production grade system and they think that oh that should be built in like you know $20,000 and should be like you know available to everyone can you just uh, go a little bit into like when you have a prototype, what does that mean? And so for me, I always start off with rough sketched yes. prototypes. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll actually, <clears throat> I'll do what I call a rough sketched <clears throat> broader system. Yes. Prototypes, so it'll be on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, it will uh, be drawing. Yes. And it'll be like, you know, the problem we've got is this. And, and if we do, do this, and then we might use a bit of, um, AI here, but it's got to also work on mobile and you know. Yes. So it's sort of like a diagrammatic, exactly over, and, overview and, of what we're trying to do. But then when we go down to yeah. a prototype, okay. it'll be yeah. <clears throat> it could be a drawing on a whiteboard. It could okay. be a rough yep. sketched series yes. of potential screens. Yeah. So okay. and the reason the, the reason that I'm I'm so big on rough sketchy is that um, too often we'll see. Um, you know, you see people come to you with a fully blown designed, even if they're yes. wireframes at times, yeah. you know, it's like boom, 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 it's all done, it all works this way. Um, you, you, when it's rough sketched, it feels as though I, the, everybody knows it's not finished, it's not yes. done. <clears throat> so it's something we can converse about. Where the more formal, the more beautiful, the more produced you make it look, it sort of says this isn't a prototype, this is what we're going to do. It's like if somebody sends you a 75-page strategy document and says, I want your feedback. True. And, oh, you know, I don't agree with that. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, and then I'm like yes. oh, you didn't want feedback. You wanted a pat on the back. Okay. Um, so, you know, yeah. <clears throat> if you produce something that looks complete, mm-hmm. uh, or it's the same in, you know, with people send you out a specification document. Yeah, yes. we want you to review the specification document. And it's that, you know, like 100 pages big yeah. and everything's there and non-technical people look and go, oh, wow, this must be... Right, because look how formal how it is. How beautifully and formally. <clears throat> yeah, and they don't yeah. sort of, they don't even read it because they don't understand it. But yes. it's a bit like if I put in front of them a screen, like it would work, work this way. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, but, you know, that's not quite. So very much about doing it really rough. I always say it's really easy to change a line on a rough sketch drawing mm-hmm. than it is to change a system once it's been deployed yeah. into production. And how, so, does, <clears throat> how does that prototype then lead to production? What is the timeline? So then, what, then what we do would um, mm-hmm. we probably turn it into uh, a clickable wireframe. Yes. And then we'd say, right, um, what I need you to do is um, 
I want you to go in, uh, discover a product, um, and uh, place an order for it. Understood. For example. Yep. And you know, and, and the other one you use video as well. And if cool. you start to see them screw their face up and oh, oh, oh yeah, okay, we haven't designed it right. Okay. Um, so, but if it's like, oh yeah, you know, if you can see them follow the flows and mm-hmm. uh, and avoid the, um, yeah, it's oftentimes I'll see startups yeah, and you know, I'll say, show me, um, show me your, your tech or whatever, and it's like, oh no, we'll just no, don't explain it to me because. If I was an end user at home, you're not going to be sitting over my shoulder telling me how it works. You go over there and let me work through this interface. Um, because, again, it's sort of like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we, it's a bit different. If you're working in an internal environment, you're deploying systems internally, yeah. you can make people use whatever you've inflicted cool. on them. But you're putting it out into the wild, um, you know, into the open world. It's like, yeah, you're not necessarily going to have uh, founders standing over their shoulders saying, no, yeah. don't click that, click that. So, so yeah, it, it's it's very much that iteration process of, mm-hmm. okay, here's the core functionality. Does it flow? Does it work? Yep. Um, does it make sense? Um, and, and then at that point, you get to the point of, you know, we, we're getting a 90% yep. uh, completion on the tasks that we tested. Okay, yep. you know what? We've probably got a pretty good design because yes. even at 90%, I can then once I start to add color, other scaffolding around it, mm-hmm. um, we we can um, we can and, help the user. And, yeah. and how do you lead that to a actually products and running system like when the pack form actually had someone that client can use? Um, so what we did is we we built out the sort of first fundamentals of it, mm-hmm. um, and we just started with the one sales guy, um, yes. and and I basically said to him. The day that you come in and say um, you've turned that ninety percent of my time to ten um, percent of my time, that's when we're ready to go. Understand. And that took about six months. Okay. Of, and so we built it. Yep. Deployed it with one, one user. Yeah. One user. Yeah. To or one sales yep. guy and his mm-hmm. customers to um, yep. to sort of work it out and identify any um, any course. nuances or things that yep. could be better. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it was like we're ready. And and since then, we're you know we're continuing to we we release every so. week. Yep. Um, so we we have a sort of what's really important to us, you know? How yes. do we um, how do we sort of make the system work better for suppliers? Yep. How do we make it work better for customers? How do we make it Definitely. work better for our dealers? Um, yep. And and you know we it was funny like because it grew so fast, we outgrew zero in the first year. Wow. Um, so we selected okay. zero as our accounting <laughs> system and then. After about 12 months, we were making too many API calls. Yeah. And, and, and it, the, it, uh, Sorry to break yeah. you. Uh, the other pitfall that I see is because when we do the brainstorming, there are like probably like 20, 30 features, uh, major features that we see that, okay, all these that it can do and all these it can expand to and everything. So the wireframe is very comprehensive. But I am assuming that the first version that you had out in the open didn't have all those 30 features, but no, the major no. one that actually, no. you know, important. Yeah, it's sort of like let's start with the skateboard before we move into, you know, the semi-trailer truck. So exactly. what are the what are those core features? So I yes. need to be able to place an order and I need to be able to um, put a yes. call out to suppliers to True. see if they can supply that order. Yep. And, and, so. and you touch like really beautifully three um, major like, you know, blocker that people get stuck into one. 
without doing or prototyping, they assume that they know everything and they start to design yeah. everything. B, obviously not prototyping, not discussing with like, you know, and customer and everything. And yeah. then third one is building everything. So they end up building for three years without yeah. actually going out there and uh, finding out that what they build, half of that is actually unuseful. Yeah. And I think the other point is, it's like success in technology these days, you don't have to build everything, you know? Exactly. Okay, we need an accounting system. Good. Uh, what were we? Okay, zero. Ooh, we outgrew that. Good. Stick in that suite. Yes. So we're not going to build our accounting system. You know, we mm-hmm. need um, authentication. Okay, we'll use OAuth. Yes. You know, so we're using open source components. We're mm-hmm. using commercially available components, and we're only building and integrating the pieces that are new. So yes. you know, technology. So leveraging, te- leveraging a lot of off the shelf or integration pieces rather than building your own. Yeah. And, and so it's sort of one of my colleagues says that technology these days is much more about elegant integration than it is about invention, you know? So it's the same as like, um, you know, for a lot of um, online businesses or whatever, they're all going to, or most of them are going to need some sort of content management system. Mm -hmm. Well, good, pick an open source one, you know, use WordPress if you, if you want, or use something, your Drupal or Mm -hmm. Magnolia or whatever. But, uh, um, and the the other thing as well is that um, you have to be sort of, when you're looking at that stuff is like, is there a big community around it that will maintain the development of it? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a big, I've always been a big believer in using open source technology that's got a, a really solid community around community. it because they will develop and continue to do the work and, and also putting back what we do yeah. Um, is, um, yeah, it means that we can move much faster and, and you're not creating legacy of, I, I heard of a startup recently that was, um, I was talking to the product manager. I said, oh, what, what are you using for the content management side? Oh, we're building our own. I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> um, oh, well, you know, the execs want our own one because they think, you know, we should have our own one. I'm like, that's madness. You know, like yes. you're not going to be able to maintain, yep. yeah, maintain the development momentum of a community of 20,000 developers or whatever in some of yep. these major open source ones. Yep. So use what they've got, add your bits if you want to, but integrate it with what, the use case or the end users that, you know, the, yep. the service that you're going to offer True. rather than sort of feel like I've got to build everything from yep. scratch. The the other thing I always see, and I always tell people that you are over-engineering. What, what mm. that means is they say, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this with AI. And on the day one, they say, oh, where is my AI? But, you know, as, as a yeah. software engineer, I know that, okay, until you have a billion record or a million record, your AI not going to even do anything. So, it, yeah, it's, it's very hard sometimes to like you know explain people that you're gonna start with simple logic that you understand and you see in the yeah. in the like just a, a business logic kind of thing and then you're gonna use AI when you have large data. How do yeah, you do it's like, that? Yeah, yeah. it was interesting. <laughs> we had uh, one of the uh, uh, somebody looked at it from an investor point of view. It looked at platform for oh you're not using AI and it's like well what, what do you want us to use it for? Right, you know, this was a couple of years ago. Now we'd use AI to be able to say, well, um, you know, the most important thing here is um, d- delivery time. Okay, so location becomes important. Um, you know, so if I've got to deliver it, you know, I'm sourcing it from China or India versus sourcing it from, um, you know, Los Angeles. Yes. You know, the customer needs it tomorrow. Well, okay, good. Here's the suppliers that potentially could yeah. meet this thing, you know. So, again, starting to... to 
take the data that we've got and use it. But for most cases, it's like, yeah, like you say, you know, AI is where you've got lots of records or machine learning and it's like, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, just talking about over-engineering, um, you know, oh, why isn't it on a blockchain? It's like, oh, my God. You know, like, is there a double spend problem here? What do you mean? I mean, blockchain solve double spend. So where's my double spend problem that I need to solve here? Um, I don't understand. It's like, yeah, I know you don't understand because you're talking shit because you've, you know, I'm just Someone told you. sort of, yeah. oh, it's just like <laughs> at the moment. I, I had I had something recently where I was asked to come in and talk to uh, a group and they'd had some futurists in there who were, um, had done a pack about um, everything Everything we do in 2030 will be done via virtual reality on the metaverse. Every asset in the world will be tokenized on the blockchain. And I'm like, oh, God, what bullshit, you know? Um, it's sort of this shiny new thing and, you know, uh, yeah, people say, oh, what do you think of the metaverse? I, think, I said, I think it's good because then people can shut up about NFTs for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just get so frustrated with this um, this sort of technology determinism. Because somebody says there's this technology that suddenly everything in the world will be, um, you know, solved by it. And, um, and we just see it, that's just palpably doesn't, isn't the way it works. It, it's often combinations of existing technologies that are combined in a context okay. to create new opportunity. And it's very rarely one um, element of technology that suddenly magically blows up everything. Yes. No, totally get it. And so as a technology leader, like you are, um, running the center for the edge. So obviously you are the futurist as, as well, that what is the coming next that I need to know about today. So what is on your list that you say, all right, climate tech or fintech or like, this is what I'm I'm really interested in. I want to go there or I want to know about. Yeah, it's sort of, it's really interesting. I look at, I look at sort of the, the tech as part of it, but I'm much more interested in how am I organised and structured to experiment and learn. Yes. So it goes back to that notion about learning. Yes. Um, so what interesting things am I seeing coming through? So, so if I looked at it, let's say climate tech, I, I think that clearly uh, we need to, uh, th there's storage issues, there's management of the grid, there's inertia, um, you know, in terms of ensuring that power is always available. Um, so there are a few bigger problems to solve. So I'm interested in what sort of developments am I seeing there? Um, and I'm also interested in the structures like community-based microgrids. I, I do a lot of work in um, natural disasters. Mm -hmm. um, I, I live in, a, in an area that was smashed by Black Saturday and a couple of family members got burnt, burnt out in um, the Black Saturday mm -hmm. bushfire. So I've been involved in that. But again, you know, I'm talking around there about um, localised redundancy because what happens is our current infrastructure model is large-scale infrastructure deployed everywhere, yeah. but in a natural disaster, the um, <clears throat> the power will go down, the uh, which then means the telco network will go down. Um, so what have we got for localised redundancy? Oh, if we had a localised um, microgrid, solar panels, um, Starlink, bang. Yes. Uh, and like one of my mates um, up in um, the floods just recently, he has two Starlinks. Um, I'm not quite sure why, but um, he loves Elon Musk. So uh, he's got a Tesla car. But anyway, he just took one of his Starlink dishes down to the local civic centre mm -hmm. and suddenly the, you know, the telco network was down, the NBN was down. But, you know, so I think a lot about, you know, what is out there that solves this problem of localised redundancy? What, what are the, the bigger problems? I'm interested in material science a bit. I'm, I'm interested in graphene. 
um, which is a sort of emerging material, which has got some really interesting properties. Um, the, I think um, I'm interested into sort of what I call hyperconnectivity. Um, mm -hmm. What does it mean where everything is connected to everything? Um, and, and, but I'm also, I'm interested in sort of what are we doing with data? Because my, my own view is that um, whilst there's an explosion of data, we, we don't scratch the surface yes. on what we can do with it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, things like um, yeah, problems like, yeah, how do, we, um, how do we redesign a grid and use the data that we've got, you know, from a multitude of sources, which could be, you know, usage data, weather data, um, you know, production data from, or, or, you know, performance data from every solar panel out there to say, how do we balance this grid to make sure that we can maintain um, a stable power network? Um, so again, you know, I, I'm interested in that stuff. I'm, I'm actually interested in um, in social technology as well. So um, I, it, it's sort of interesting that if we look at the impact of the pandemic on workplaces, um, one, one thing that I've seen is that social technology um, in workplaces tends to be very clicky, very team-based, so whether yeah. it's Teams or Slack or whatever. But I, I feel like um, how, do you, how do you build an organisational culture? How do you create serendipitous moments? How do I find who knows about what? And yeah. it's all in our data there, and, um, but we don't use it as organisations. So I'm sort of interested more in in those sort of things, like, yeah, how do I create serendipity? How do I make, how do I feel part of an organisation? Um, and use that sort of social network analysis and the data and who are the connectors and mm -hmm. all of those type of things. Yes. I, I'm interested in, um, in sort of, uh, interestingly enough, I'm doing some work in um, next generation fire retardants to um, uh, both protect assets and um, stop fires. I'm doing some work in a circular economy Mm -hmm. uh, market garden thing up in the coming out of the bushfires. So yep. yeah, so again, it's I'm not sort of running around with an Oculus Rift um, saying that I'm going to buy a new NFT outfit on a blockchain. <laughs> um, but I'm much more interested in how do we how do we sort of manage and and optimize our world around you know the food we eat, the um, re replatforming to renewable energies, replatforming away from internal combustion engines. Um, uh, better systems about yep. uh, preventing natural disasters, mm -hmm. all those sort of things um, are, are the things I'm interested in. Yeah. And, and the one point I want to touch base is the shortage of skill right now. It's a massive problem that everybody, like, you know, he's like, uh, I want to find developers, doers, skill based people, but it's, it's very uh, tough market to find good people. Are you, are you seeing something in your uh, industry, your uh, yeah. organization, and everything, and how are you dealing with that? So, the first um, the first thing I say is um, uh, most organisations I see don't let employees use the skills they have. Okay. So, um, you know, are we allowed to, um, you know, sort of run around and take videos and post them on a sort of in-house YouTube so anybody yeah. wants to know how to do something can do it. No, we don't do that. Um, yes. Have your employees got those skills? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, have your employees got marketing? Shit, yeah, look how many TikTok users they've got. Are they allowed to say anything? Like, no, that's all bad, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, oh, my employees don't have skills in AI. Oh, don't they? Um, have you ever asked them? Have you ever allowed them to... Uh, use, you know, sort of say, hey, we've got an AI project. Does anybody want to come and have a crack at it? Come and have a crack at it, yes. Yeah, and then you'll find, you know, I've always found, because, you know, working with 
mm-hmm. um, the tech people I do. You know, you, I've got all these bloody tech geniuses and I'm, I'm as interested in what they're doing at home yeah. as what they are at work, you know, and I'm like, um, so, you know, what, what stuff are you doing outside of work? Oh, I'm working on the develop something new for the Linux kernel. Oh, shit, okay. Um, <laughs> so it's a bit like, uh, so I used to sort of say, put out challenges and say to the people like, hey, what's, what stuff's coming through that you're interested in and working on yep. um, at home or, you know, you want to have a learn, learn about. Um, so let those skills either identify the skills that people have got and let them use them because mm-hmm. what we're seeing in most organisations is they constrain. Or yes. the, the other one is, um, you know, I was talking to a large organisation the other day who had, you know, skills problem, recruitment, and high staff turnover. It's like, well, what what impact do you, what what uh, opportunity do software engineers have to um, choose the tools they use? I oh, know they're done centrally. Oh, how long since you changed them? Oh, about ten years. It's like, you know, guys, that'd be like if I called a plumber to my house and yep. said, um, mate, don't use the tools in your Ute. Use the ones I bought from Bunnings ten years ago. Um, you know, it's like yep. let let these people who are skilled and crafts and at the top of their game. Mm-hmm you know, adapt and learn and bring in new tools. So I I talk a lot about how do I increase the absorptive capacity of Mm -hmm. my organisation? And that's by saying to you tech people, hey, what's coming through? What stuff are you working on? You know, is the stuff we're doing current? Is there better technology Mm -hmm. out there? If it's open source, even better. So so I encourage that. The the other thing is I'm I'm quite a a fan of boot camp sort of stuff. I'm doing one at the moment with um, Deloitte and Salesforce Mm -hmm. and... Basically, we've taken people who are sort of in their 30s. Um, some of them are um, ex-defence force, sort of second career, but no technology background. Mm-hmm. Some of them are um, women who are sort of economically disadvantaged, could be through domestic violence or, you know, yes. single mothers or things like that. Um, and then another group are former elite athletes whose careers ended and oh, what am I going to do now? Yes. Uh, and running them through like a... 13-week boot camp style pro- program with a job at the end. Now, uh, because, again, you know, I don't expect them all to be, you know, sort of Steve Wozniak or, you know, Alan Turing, mm-hmm. um, but, um, yeah, getting them a start. And th- mm-hmm. the other thing I, I see quite a bit at Deloitte Digital is that we've got a lot of um, people who've, you know, done degrees in various um, domains and then go to a general assembly and do a boot camp around, you know, data or mm-hmm programming or UI or whatever, and and they come in ready to go, not great, fantastic, brilliant experts, but good enough to get a start. So, you know, I'm a big believer in in sort of, one, creating opportunities to use the skills you have, uh, to encourage people to uh, investigate, Mm -hmm. explore and have a point of view, um, to say, well, um, how, how can I develop? people and give them the opportunity to develop and yep. yeah because when I started you know I I did a um, I did a html course online <laughs> which but it was like really basic you know yeah. just old you know like yeah brochureware style website and it was like uh, yeah I could do this but I'll never be great at it um in terms of programming and coding it's just too detailed for me so yeah it was like well let's go and find those people doing it but but I had to learn by doing I had to mm-hmm. learn by Self-study, yep. um, reading, prototyping, testing, and learning, True. and and I, I'm so I'm a big believer in you, yep. you build your skills through um, learning in what they call now learning in the flow of work or learning yep. on the job or almost like an mm-hmm. apprenticeship model where you've got people who are good at what they do and yep. you're continually bringing in people. So uh, yeah, so my, my view would be: is there a skill shortage? Yeah, maybe. Um, so Packform, we've got people from 
you know, Russia, uh, Ukraine, actually, um, you know, developers. We've got people in uh, Philippines. Yeah, we're, we're a born virtual company and yeah. everything's managed via Telegram. We don't use an yeah. email. So, uh, yeah, so I can see, like, if we need skills and if we need to grow by 20 people and we need developers, yeah, we can get them because yeah. we're sort of thought beyond, you know, they must come into the office on Monday morning and be sitting in front of me, you know, so... This yeah. is this is very interesting because I was going to touch that one of the thing I always talk to people is elastic workforce. So yeah. what that means is you have some people in house. Great. If you can't have like, you know, enough people in house, go and find like, you know, consultants, freelancers, people who are yeah. who got those skills. If even you need bigger team, go to the consultancies or, you know, third party organizations yeah. source from them. And a lot of them have like, you know, I always go back to like, uh, people focus on what cup they are served in rather than what's in it. Uh, yeah. Is is like, oh, I don't trust it. Oh, I don't do that way. Oh, in organization, we don't do that. And I read your article, get out of your own way. Uh, yeah. And, and that is so correct. You meant like, you know, you have people from Russia, Ukraine and everything. And a lot of time, like COVID has certainly changed it that things can run online. Like that has yeah. certainly been proven now, but still there are a lot of people that goes, no, no, no. Like they have well, it was sort of, yeah. it, it evolved because our CTO is Russian. And um, <laughs> we were looking at trying to get developers in Australia. like, sure, that's going to be hard and it's going to cost us a fortune. Yeah. And we're a startup. So, you know, and then mm -hmm. he's like, well, I've got a heap of mates over there and they've got a mate yeah. who runs like a sourcing business and mm -hmm. Boom. So yeah, um, and and interesting enough, some of them have moved over here, and um, you know. But again, we've um, we've got a, a a young girl from China who is um, just a out of the box um, security architecture infrastructure specialist. Just you know, she was like went to Beijing University mm -hmm. and was one of the top students there. Like to get into Beijing University is hard enough to be yes. one of the top students, and True. she then did a masters at RMIT and one of the team newer or something. And, and that's the other thing we, you know, we we talk, we had a town hall yesterday and talked to people in the Philippines. It's like, actually, have we ever done any recruiting there? And it's like, oh, then some, it's like, oh, no, no, friends. And somebody goes family and somebody goes husband. And it's like, so there's a little cohort of yeah. our team in the Philippines who are a bit like, oh, shit, we're grown. We need more people. Uh, yeah, they're good. Come in. And, yeah, um, yeah and it's sort of, it probably, you know, large organisations would freak out, oh, you know, but it's like, but they're coming in with people who know them, who trust them. You're not going to bring in somebody to their organisation who you, you think isn't going to cut it. You're, uh, they, you they, still they, have your checks, but... Yeah, they immediately open become part of the culture, um, mm -hmm. understand how we work. And, um, yeah, so, it's, um, so, so that's been interesting. But, again, because we haven't thought of ourselves as a place-based organisation. We've yes. seen ourselves as a, as a connected organisation um, that happens to have no geographic yeah. constraint to it. Yeah, I always so, call it time-based versus task-based. So yeah, don't think of yeah. like nine to five or time they have to spend. It's how yeah. many tasks they have to do and deliver. And, and it's yeah. much yeah. And more who are they serving? And, you know, making sure that you've got, you know, our customers are in the US, all of our yep. sales and support people mm -hmm. are in the US. But, yeah, of course. You yep. know, so that, that's okay. But, yeah, and um, and we've got support people you know, 24-7 to, you know, maintain the system in, mm -hmm. in different parts of the world. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of, we, and it was interesting, we were like this before the pandemic. So when the pandemic came through, it was like, you know, it, it, it had no, the sort of inability to move 
um, locations had no impact on. So, yeah. It's actually interesting because I, when I started running my company, I had that same problem that, you know, because I didn't have an address that was in CBD, sort of yeah. people like, you're not a company, like you're just a gr- uh, group of people that would do work. And I'm like, that's a company. What, what yeah. more do you yeah. want? Well, you need a group well, yeah. of people doing work. Yeah. And Why do they all have to sit in the same place? Yeah. Yeah. I had so much resistance. People said, no, 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 you are just a group of freelance. And I'm like, no, this is a company. We don't need an office. We are all working either, uh, you know, client overseas or like, you know, online and all tools are online, then what do you need? Like, you don't need yeah. a brick and mortar. Now we have office, nobody comes because what's the point of coming if they can do their work from everywhere? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for so, sure. It's, uh, yeah. and, and I think that's going to be a, um, you know, a challenge for um, a lot of organisations because the, the thing I'm hearing out there, you know, oh, we need people to be in the office 50% of the time or, we, you know, oh, why? Oh, because of innovation and culture. And I'm like, so what? The only way you can have a culture or innovate or create connection is to have an office, is it? Oh, well, well, maybe not. It's like, right, flip it. Yeah. I want to, I have concerns about serendipity, about innovation, about collaboration, about culture. What can I do to actually build on that and to make it not a problem? And, um, and that's where, you know, again, you go back to <laughs> tools like um, whether it's Telegram, WhatsApp, bloody yes. Yammer, I don't care what it is, um, yeah. but it's the culture of, you know, we work in the open, we post things, we yes. we, we have conversations. Yep. You know, like one of my favourite times at Packforms at Christmas because we've got people all around the world posting, you know, this is what we do for Christmas, this is what we do for Christmas. And, um, you know, and, you know, you've got snow in Russia and you've got, people in Vietnam so like actually we're Buddhists but we do this so, you know, so yeah it's uh, yeah it's good it's fun right well thanks Peter for coming and wealth of knowledge and like you know a lot of uh, insights that you have provided into innovation technology business all areas of that uh, really happy to have you here uh, and I look forward to like you know collaborating and uh, talking to you more over the... No worries. Well, thanks. And uh, thanks for doing this. It's, um, I think um, getting the world of practical technology out there um, beyond the hype and um, into, well, how do you actually do this stuff? Yes. Uh, by people who've done it, not necessarily by people who talk about what others have done, um, is is where you get it. And you get it from, I always say to people, it's the, you learn the most from the backstories, you yes. know, not the finished product. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Lovely having you here.